turn with me to Psalms 115. Psalms 115. I'm going to do a bit of reading this morning. I hope you will oblige me in this. Psalms 115 through 118 is a collection of psalms that are often known as the Hallel, which means uh, praise. It's a Hebrew word that means praise. And it's because we see in there this concept of praising the Lord, a phrase is repeated over and over again. This was sung at a few different times during uh, the year, and particularly at Passover. And as you hopefully are aware, part of what we are observing today in the Lord's Supper is a, um, what Christ did at Passover, the last Passover that he observed in the traditions and customs that he set down. And so I thought I'd read all of Psalms 115 through 118. It's not really that long, uh, but you are welcome to turn with me um, and read along or just listen as I attempt um, to do this. Um, I do want to mention that historically this has been divided into five uh, main topics. Uh, so we see in it the coming out of Israel of uh, the Hebrews. We see the dividing of the sea. We see the giving of the law. We see the resurrection of the dead, and we see a discussion um, about the coming of the Messiah. And this is that all of this comes from he- Hebrew tradition and how they viewed uh, these psalms. So I'll read beginning with 115, and I'll just make a note when we switch. Uh, we'll get to 117, which is the shortest psalm and chapter in the scriptures. You're going to hear many verses that are familiar, and I think you will enjoy it. So Psalms 115 says, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory, for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? But our God is in heaven. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes they have, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. And feet they have, but they walk not. Neither speak as though they had throats. They that make them are like unto them. And so everyone that trusteth in them. O Israel, trust thou in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Ye that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord hath been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. The Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. You are blessed of the Lord, which hath made heaven and the earth. The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's, but the earth has he given to the children of men. The dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down into silence, but we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Chapter 116. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications, because he has inclined his ear unto me. Therefore, I will call upon him as long as I live. The sorrows of death compassed me. The pains of hell got hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then called I upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yea, our God is merciful. The Lord preserveth the simple. I was brought low and he helped me. 
Return unto thy rest, O soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. For thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believe, therefore, that I... I believe, therefore, have I spoken. I was greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefit toward me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly, I am thy servant. I am thy servant and the son of thy handmaid. Thou hast loosed my bonds. I will offer to these sacrifices of thanksgiving. I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of thee, O Jerusalem. Praise you, the Lord. 117. O praise the Lord, all nations. Praise him, all people. For his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise you, the Lord. And then finally, 118. Give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. Because of his mercy endureth forever. Let Israel now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let the house of Adar now say his mercy endure. I'm sorry, house of Aaron now says mercy endureth forever. Let them now that fear the Lord say, let his mercy endureth forever. I called upon the Lord in distress. Then the Lord answered me. And set me in a large place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? The Lord taketh my part with them that can help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire upon them that hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations compassed about me, but in thy name, the Lord, I will destroy them. They compassed about me, yea, they compassed about me, but in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. They compassed about me like bees, they are quenched as the fire of thorns, for in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. Thou hast thrust sore at me that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song, he has become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacles of the righteous. The, the right hand of the Lord doth valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord doth valiantly. I shall not die, but live, and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me sore, but hath not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness, and I will go into them, and I will praise the Lord. This gate of the Lord, into which the righteous shall enter, I will praise thee, for thou hast heard me, and art become my salvation. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be the he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, which has showed us light. Bind the sacrifices with cords, even unto the horns of the altar. Thou art my God, and I will praise thee. Thou art my God, and I will exalt thee. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy 
endureth forever. I appreciate you, your patience as I read that. And so as I mentioned, these would be read around the time of Passover. Tradition tells us that a couple of them would be read before the Passover meal and a couple would be read afterwards. And what is so interesting is several things jump out in this. One, on at least three occasions and maybe uh, more than that, you'll see that there's three groups that are listed. One is, um, going back into 118, it talks about, Oh, let Israel trust in the Lord. And then it says, Oh, let the house of Aaron. And then it says, All that fear the Lord. See, I'm not a Jew, and I'm not of the house of Aaron, but I do fear the Lord. And so I think this psalm is applicable to us. I think it's telling us something that we need to hear, something that we need to understand, that all of us, we need to uh, fear the Lord, that He is our shield, He is our shelter, He is everything to us. Whether you are Jew or you are not a Jew, God is God over everyone. And throughout this, we see interesting uh, foreshadowings, if you will, of the Messiah to come. The tragedy is, among other tragedies that are going on in the world today, the Jewish people missed it. They've missed it. And yet it's right here. They've sung about it for thousands of years, and they've missed it. One hundred nineteen, verse nineteen through twenty. Open to me. I'm sorry. One hundred eighteen, verses nineteen through twenty. It says, "Open the gates of righteousness, and I will go in into them, and I will praise the Lord. This gate of the Lord, into which the righteous shall enter." <laughs> who gets to go into the gates that are righteous? Who is worthy? Well, there's only one that's worthy, and that's Jesus Christ. You see, we need to remember, as we should always remember, that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. It wasn't a 50-50 thing. It was, I don't know how to explain it, but he was fully God and fully man. And because of that, he had every opportunity to sin, but actually never did. Which means he is the only one who was righteous, the only one who was able to actually enter into the presence of God, who is righteous, is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We see in other Psalms 24, it says, Lift up your heads, O gates, be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. The temple gates were called the gates of righteousness. And there's only one person who was righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, what we celebrate here today, what we stand behind is truth. What the scriptures clearly teach, again, is that Jesus Christ came into this world sinless. He remained sinless and he was sacrificed on our behalf so that we could enter through those gates of righteousness because of the penalty that he paid on our behalf. Because we can never be good enough to get in. We can never deserve or earn anything to get into the gates of righteousness. The only possible way that we can come before the throne of a perfect God is for someone to pave the way for us. And that someone is the Messiah, is Jesus Christ. And it is a beautiful thing. Thou art become my salvation. And then we see verses 22 and 
23. What a beautiful selection of verses here. The stone which the builders refused has become the head stone of the corner. Now that may sound a little different. There's different ways to translate that. There's some discussion about whether it's the cornerstone as in the one that's laid and everything is laid according to it. That was the ancient way of building things. You made very certain that that first stone that you put in the corner was built and put in there correctly, angled the right way and level so that everything would be built off of that one. You could also look at this and say that it was the uh, chief stone as in maybe one that was at the center and held perhaps an arch together or something like that. Either way, the interpretation is still appropriate because what we have here, whether you call Jesus Christ the cornerstone, that is the one right way, and the only way to build your life is to build off of him, or to say that he is the chief headstone that holds everything together, both of those things are true of Jesus Christ. And we see that he proclaims as much. Let me turn to Luke for just a minute. Luke 20, Luke 20, I'm going to read 16 through 19. Here we find Jesus as he is teaching and he is being uh, approached by the Pharisees and finishing up one of his parables, he said, and he shall come to destroy these husbands, and they shall give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, God forbid. So what Jesus Christ is doing here is he's telling them that because those who have rejected the Messiah, God will come and give that reward to another. And the Pharisees are very upset about this because they're the ones who they believe should inherit the reward. And Jesus responded in verse 17. He said to them and he said, what is this then that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it fall shall grind him into powder. And the chief priests and the scribes that same hour sought to lay hands on him, but they feared for the people, for they perceived that he had spoken this parable against them. See, Jesus Christ, when he comes and he's teaching, he is telling them, look, what is he proclaiming? I am that chief cornerstone. I am the one who was set. I am the fulfillment of Psalms 118, which says that the cornerstone that will be set, that was refused, will end up being the head. He is proclaiming and forecasting exactly what happened. And he's telling them, look, you're going to reject me. But the reality is it's not going to work because I am the chief headstone. This is why they wanted to kill him. So many times we fail to realize the rich nature of the scripture because we don't know some of the customs and traditions that went on. It's easy to read that and not capture and understand what Jesus Christ was saying about himself to others. It's easy to read this and miss the fact that what he said was so powerful and so important that they wanted to kill him after he said it. Because Jesus is proclaiming that he is that chief cornerstone that would be rejected. And he was rejected. And he was the cornerstone when he lived a perfect life, died for our sins, and rose again. This theme is carried forward. We see it in 1 Peter 2.4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Acts 4.11. Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone 
Romans 9.33, As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, and whosoever believe in him will not be put to shame. And so here we see, I think rather beautifully, thousands of years perhaps before Jesus Christ came, the Lord inspired the writer and the author of Psalms 118 to write this to show us the way. And when Jesus came, he applied this to his own life, saying, I am this stone that you have rejected. And you better believe this sacred text that was repeated every year at Passover. The Jews would have instantly known what he was implying, which is why they were so upset. Back to 118. The Lord is doing this and is marvelous in our eyes. Here again, we need to be reminded that this is of the Lord and His doing. As I mentioned last Sunday, God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything in it. And then He formed man and breathed life into him and gave him part of his nature so that we could be in a very rough way and have some similarities to God. God did all of this on purpose for the express intent of having a relationship with us. And after we fell, God knew before that, actually, I should say, that we needed a Savior and God prepared His Son from the foundations of the world to fulfill His job. And it is marvelous in our sight. We like to try and make sense of the Scriptures. We like to try and understand them, and in many cases that's true. What I just told you about knowing a little bit about Jewish Hebrew tradition is important for us to understand the context. At the same token, let us never lose sight of the fact that what God did for us is undescribable. We probably can't understand it very well, but we should all marvel at its glory. We should stop and consider the cost that Jesus paid for us and marvel at it and what he did. Marvel at the fact that in God's wisdom, the stone, the rock that everyone else rejected and said, this one is no good. We don't want this one around. It doesn't fit here is the one that is the cornerstone that is the pinnacle and the perfect stone. It's not how I would have done it. It's probably not how you would have done it. We would have designed it differently, but God in His wisdom saw fit to make it happen this way, and it is something that is beautiful. It is marvelous in the Lord's sight. And what's so marvelous is that this is the day which the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. The store we get our eggs from, our chicken eggs, I know I'm changing topics, has that verse printed on the inside of its, or on the outside of its carton. This is the day the Lord has made, we will rejoice. I don't think I really understood the context. What is that day? That day is the day of salvation. That day is the point that Jesus Christ came into the world. That day is the point that he was crucified for us. That day that we rejoice in is that he conquered death and rose again. That day is the day talking about Jesus Christ. That marvelous, beautiful day that God saved us. It's not just that it's a beautiful morning. It's that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. 
and we will rejoice and be glad in it. No matter if all the world around us be falling apart, which it kind of seems like it is, no matter whether it's dark outside, no matter what conditions we find ourselves in, you cannot change the fact that Jesus Christ came into this world to save those who are lost, that those of us who have put our faith in him have been saved, and therefore, no matter what the day holds, we can rejoice and be glad in it. And I am thankful for that. It goes on, it says, Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee. Send now prosperity. This is a prayer for success. And then in verse 26, it says, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. We have, bese- we have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. This verse carries with it the idea that someone is coming. That something is coming. That's why the, the Hebrews saw this as the future Messiah. The future king would come. You know, what's very interesting is all four Gospels carry the same account. And that is that Jesus entered Jerusalem days before Passover at the center of a large procession. And the people around him shouted, praise God, the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heavens. Again, we failed to realize that what the people were doing, whether they understood it or not, it's an entirely different question. They were basically calling Jesus Christ king. They were saying, oh, son of David, which means the rightful ruler of Israel, welcome to Jerusalem. Praise the Lord for having sent you. Again, fulfilling this very passage here, that he would come in and he would be praised for being the one who is the king to reign eternal. Verse 27, as I studied it, was a little difficult to interpret. There were differing opinions on what exactly this meant. It says, God is the Lord, which has showed us light. Bind the sacrifice with cord, even unto the horns of the altar. I can roughly conclude it doesn't seem like sacrifices were bound, as in animal sacrifices were not bound when they were sacrificed. So it isn't really talking about that. We certainly didn't tie them to the horns of the altar, according to Hebrew law tradition. So what exactly is this verse talking about? One possible interpretation is that the words here are talking about a, a circle of things that bind someone together. And so you could have an image here of maybe the thorns that were twisted together and bound and placed on his head. Let me change directions here for just a minute. I've tried to point out that we can see the Messiah in this passage, that this is a passage directed at us. But maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, okay, there's lots of Psalms like that, and there are. So let me change your focus just for a minute. Have you ever known something before anyone else did? Perhaps you knew you were going to give a gift to somebody and you knew what was in the gift but they didn't know does that make sense that that emotion you feel right before it happens when when you know that they're getting ready to open this maybe you've found out some test results either good or bad physically and you know but they don't know maybe there's 
been a video that you've watched or even life in front of your very face and you know exactly what's getting ready to happen, but the other person doesn't. It's almost like you can see it coming. You know that this accident, this, this car accident is getting ready to happen. You know that this person is getting ready to get hurt. So think about all the times in your life that you've known something that the other person doesn't. Maybe you've been lied to before, or the person thought they were lying to you, but you knew the truth, you see? So I want you to picture and keep in your mind this idea that you knew something that nobody else really fully understood, whether it's been a surprise or something bad or something good. Think about the emotions that you might feel going through this. We all have these things happen throughout our lives, and sometimes they're very hard for us to control. One more example, just in case you're, you can't think of, can't place one. Again, I talked about maybe giving a gift, but again, what if you had some knowledge of something and, and you knew this person was maybe close to guessing what it was and you wanted them to guess, but you couldn't tell them yet? Or you knew something, again, that was good or bad and they were close to it but couldn't quite figure it out and you kind of want them to get there? Now I want to bring you back to Jesus. We lift him up as righteous, and he is. We attribute to him to be part of the Godhead, and he is. But when he was on earth, he was also a man. And I think sometimes it would do us well to remember that Jesus Christ knew a lot of things that nobody else around him knew or understood. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Can you imagine knowing what Peter would become but having to put up with him in the meantime? I think that's why Jesus Christ may sound exasperated. I don't think it was in a negative way. I think so many times he's like, oh, Peter, Peter. Because he knew. You've heard that song, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind? Because he knew you. When Jesus comes to Jerusalem for the last time and he comes upon the hill that overlooks the city and he cries out, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kill the prophets. How I wanted to gather you like a mother hen gathers her chicks because he knew. When he called his disciples together multiple times and told them, Listen, we're going to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. And they said, No, you're going to be king. What did he say to himself? Yes, but not that way. What do you think he thought when he called Lazarus forth from the grave? He knew he could do it. And all these people around him weeping, so upset. Why did he cry? I don't know. Maybe it's because he had to bring him back from perfection back into this world. Maybe he was heartbroken over the heartbreak of his friends and those who were around him. See, Jesus was a real person. He had feelings. He had thoughts. He had emotions. And he knew things that we didn't know. And I think we need to think about that more often. And so with that in mind, hopefully you followed along. Let me set the stage one more time. 
Matthew 26 and 30, or Matthew 26, records Jesus giving communion at the Passover. That's why he was in Jerusalem. He's in the upper room with his disciples. They go through the ceremony. He institutes what we know today as communion. And then Matthew 27, I'm sorry, Matthew 26 and 30 has this phrase. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. What hymn do they sing? Well, it's very likely the one I read to you. Because that was the Jewish tradition. It's very, very, very likely that Psalms 118, he led and sang his disciples. Parts of this were usually done in a call and response, as in someone, the leader, would say something and those would respond with a certain phrase and the rest of it might have been sung. Very, very likely that Psalms 118 was what he sang before he left the door to go to be betrayed, to be beaten, to be illegally tried, to be abandoned by all his friends, to be crucified in the most painful way possible, to carry our sins and to die. And so what I want to do is I want to read Psalms 118 one more time. And I want you to try and put yourself in the position of Jesus Christ, who knew what was getting ready to happen. Does that make sense? Remember I said he ever known something and no one else knew it yet? I want you to picture. I want you to listen. Close your eyes if it helps. I want you to think about Jesus Christ himself with his disciples, possibly saying these exact words. I mean, in Hebrew rather than English, but these exact phrase before he was ready to go. And you know what he knew? He knew that this was talking about him. They didn't understand it yet. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. Because his mercy endureth forever. Let Israel now say that mercy endureth forever. Let the house of Aaron now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let them that fear the Lord say that his mercy endureth forever. That's his mercy. I call upon the name of the Lord in distress, and the Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You let 40 armed men come and arrest you in the middle of the night. See how scared you are. The Lord taketh my part with them that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. As an armed band of men who hated him, who wanted to kill him completely unjustly, were about to take him. And yet in verse 8, it is better to trust in the Lord 
than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. See, Jesus Christ knew that he had to put confidence in his Father. It was not time for him to have an earthly kingdom. There wasn't going to be a way out. And we see that later when he prays in the garden, Lord, if there's any other way, but nevertheless, thy will be done. Likely Jesus was encouraging himself with these words. All nations have compassed about me. In the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They compassed me about, yea, they compassed about me. In the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They compassed me about like bees, and they were quenched the fire of thorns. For in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. Thou hast thrust sore at me, and I might fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song, and has become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacles of the righteous. At the right hand of the Lord doth valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord doth valiantly. Who is sitting at the right hand of the Lord? Jesus Christ. I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me sore. He is, hath not given me over into death. Open to me the gates of righteousness, and I will go into them, and I will praise the Lord. Who is worthy to go into the gates of righteousness? Him and him alone. The gate of the Lord into which the righteous shall enter, I will praise him, for thou hast heard me, and art become my salvation. The stone which the builder refused is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Let me pause here and read Hebrews 12.2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, Jesus Christ knew what he was about to do. He knew that he was about to take the punishment of all the sin and of all the evil that's ever been in this world and ever will be. He was going to pay the penalty because of all of that. And yet he was able to say, this is the day which the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Why? Because he takes joy in the sacrifice he made for you. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord, O Lord, I beseech thee, and send prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, which hath showed us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even to the horn of the altar. Thou art my God, and I will praise thee. Thou art my God, and I will exalt thee. And it ends the way it starts. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. So much richness in this passage. And if we would just pause and think about what Christ knew was about to happen, how emotional it must have been for him to lead this with his disciples who had no idea what was getting ready to happen. Thou art my God, and I will praise him. 
Thou art my God, and I will exalt him. And a few hours later, on a cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because a holy God had to turn away from his son. For the first time ever, they were not perfectly in communion. And he had to crush his son because of me. And so when we celebrate communion today, when we celebrate what Jesus Christ told us to do in remembrance of him, we are partaking in this same thing. We are remembering that his body was broken for us, that his blood was shed for us, and that because of his blood, through his blood, we have the remission of sins, that we can know him. Jesus Christ knew full well the plan, he understood it, and he went headlong into it to please his father, to do the will of his father. How much less should we strive to please our father? Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endureth forever. I couldn't really decide how to come to a conclusion today. And I feel like I've already repeated myself a bit. But when we take the Lord's Supper here in just a moment. I hope that we would remember this. I hope that we would understand and take a few minutes to really pause and think about what God did on our behalf, the sacrifice that Jesus made for us and what this means to us. I hope that we would take just a few minutes and remember that Jesus knew all of this ahead of time, and yet he chose to do it anyway. And he would have chosen to have done it if it had just been you. In all the uncertainty of the world and all the concern about the future, let us never pause, never fail to give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, because his mercy endures forever. You see, it's because of his mercy that I get to have eternal life. It's because of his mercy that I get to enter into the gates of righteousness. Because on my own, I could never do it. I could never earn it. I could never pay the penalty. And so as we take communion today, let us pause and consider these things. Let us think deeply about what it cost Jesus Christ to purchase our freedom. And let us consider and not take unworthily, as the scripture says, not take it flippantly, not take it without thought or care, but let us really pause and think. And let us think about the song or the psalm that very likely Jesus Christ would have sung just after taking communion.
Join me in a word of prayer.